0: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. And joining me today is David Kravitz, author of Super Aging, Getting Older Without Getting Old. People are living longer and longer. Someone turning 65 today can typically look forward to an additional 15 years or more of high-quality living. Centenarians are quickly becoming the fastest-growing age group with more and more people living into their 80s and even their 90s. David Kravitz uncovers seven simple key components, attitude, awareness, activity, autonomy, achievement, attachment, and avoidance, that teach us to turn the period after age 65 into one of the most productive and fulfilling times of our lives. From taking control of our health, to revolutionary ways of thinking about retirement, money, housing, Yes, and even relationships. He's an executive at Zoomer Media, appears frequently on radio and TV as a commentator on new trends and developments leading to a complete reinvention of what it means to be older. Welcome to the show, David. Nice to have you on. Well, thanks so much for having me. Super aging to me, and I'm over 65, super and aging don't always seem to go together and I guess that's (laughs) what, I don't know how old you are. I've got to ask. You don't have to tell me. I'm I'm 78. I'm
1: 78.
0: 78. Okay, so you are an expert, not just academically, professionally, (laughs) but but you're in the trenches. You're 78 years old, and look what you're doing. Okay, I, I mentioned all of that in the intro. So, super aging, tell us, how do we super age? Well, I think the
1: first thing is, and we set this up in the book. And by the way, my co-author of the book, Larry Wolf, is eighty-five, so we are we are living the uh, living the life. Um, yes, <laughs> and um, we set up at the very beginning uh, default aging, which is the model we've all grown up with, and it's the model that still prevails today in a lot of our social policy and our dialogue. That at age sixty-five you retire you have um, 10 12 years to go you're playing defense there's not enough time to do anything uh, god willing you're going to have a pain free disease free glide path to the finish line if you're lucky uh, but really you're just kind of hold the fort and and wind down super aging says wait a minute I might have 20 years or more to go when I'm 65. I don't need to play defense, I can do stuff. I can look on this as a period of my life for new things, new discoveries, new possibilities, new opportunities, it can become a period of growth and fulfillment uh, and not simply, you know, holding the line against uh, the, uh, the, the decline. So once you switch that focus, it means you need to know about it a lot more, you need to pay attention to a lot more, you need to be a lot more proactive, but the rewards can be great. So it's a it's a big psychological crossover, first of all. And luckily, the means to accomplish it are flooding us every day with new discoveries, new breakthroughs, whether it's in medicine, whether it's in health. And so we're it's we think that superaging is the most profound social revolution we will ever see. Because uh, we're just getting started. You said correctly, centenarians are the fastest-growing age group. There are scientists today who are saying, with a perfectly straight face, experts, I'm talking uh, Harvard-level researchers, they're saying with a perfectly straight face that the first person to live to 150, 150, the first person to live to 150 is already alive. So what is this going to mean for our view of literally everything? Uh, and it's that kind of wide-angle lens that we tried to bring to the party uh, in this book.
0: So, if you're going to live to 150, 65 is what middle age? <clears throat> Maybe not even quite middle age. So, that you're, I mean, <laughs> by today's
1: definition, you're going to live all more than half your life as a retiree.
0: Yeah, and you won't be so retiring. So that clearly
1: won't happen that way. Yeah, right?
0: I, I, no, that's gonna, as you've described it. That's not going to happen. But I think uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of research being done. I know. Dr. David Sinclair in Boston at uh, MIT. Yes. Is,
1: yeah, I, He's the guy that said that, by the way. He's the guy that oh, said the first person to live to 150 is alive today.
0: Yeah, I thought it rang true because I read the book and I thought, yeah, Dr. David Sinclair. So there's research oh, yeah. we're talking about, and you're talking about the super aging lens. That's what uh, you describe or you have described again yes. the super aging lens. Okay, that's kind of the overall, as you say, kind of philosophical uh, sociological, political way of looking at aging. But now what are the specifics? Because people are listening to the show are saying, you know, I'm 70 and I have arthritis and I have these chronic illnesses and I'm in pain. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, so what are you talking about?
1: So so what we're talking about, I want to go back to the word lens because it does mean keeping track of more subjects. And um, the first two essentials are attitude and awareness. And they over override the other 5a's. So let's just talk about that for a second. Um there's all kinds of research to show that people with a positive attitude and an optimistic attitude outlive people with a negative attitude and this has even been traced down to biology, you know, stress levels and uh, hormones and 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 uh, uh, they have less inflammation, they have they're healthier. So added to and believing that you do have that potential is big. And then the second one, this is maybe the different one, is awareness of a wider range of subjects. So let me give an example. There are many books out there on diet. There are many books out there on exercise. We are not the first people that came along and said, you need to do this amount of exercise and here are good exercises. We're kind of like the curators of the whole field, kind of, selecting which which ones are important. But clearly, physical survival, what do you need to do to stay healthy, is is key. But in addition, in addition... Um, there's the idea of accomplishment, which means blowing up the idea of retirement and saying, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? How do I organize that? How do I think about that? Gosh, I didn't realize there's consultants on that topic now, which there didn't used to be, on literally planning out, what am I going to do with these bonus 20 or 30 years? Um, Autonomy, it used to be and uh, that if you wanted to renovate your home, to be able to stay in the home longer because none of us want to end up in a nursing home. Uh, it was pretty simple. You know, maybe you added a room, you brought in some equipment or something. Now it can be much more complicated, but in a good way because there's so much technology that's out there to enable you to live in your home longer. Are you aware of all that? Do you know about all that? How do you find out about all that? From AI to robots to passive sensors, do you know that experts in the healthcare field today are saying that the hospital of the future will be the home. Your home is going to be a a, a forest of uh, AI-powered monitoring that's going to email your doctor in real time if anything's going on inside your body that he needs to know about or she needs to know about. So there's the whole idea of keeping aware of that topic and of technology. Are you aware of what's going on? And if not, how do you become aware, and we've got ideas in the book for how to systematize your acquisition of this knowledge. Um, Relationships, we know that um, people who are lonely and isolated don't live as long as people with uh, vigorous uh, social relationships. How do you go about that in case of circumstances you can't control, such as, you know, death of, of loved ones or distance or... Kids moving away. We found uh, we found in our example. Uh, I'm speaking to you from uh, Toronto, Canada. Um, I divide my time between Canada and the U. S. We found that the COVID epidemic, with all its devastation on older people, also produced a side effect that was interesting: of people, seniors, flocking onto Zoom calls, flocking onto the internet and quite capable of handling uh digital relationships and super majors are looking for more digital relationships to supplement the the uh you know, the, the immediate family structure. So they're, they're, I'm just giving a little smorgasbord of all these topics. Yeah. Well, you know, Dave, that's a good example. They're are, all they're, in place.
0: They're saying. all in place. And I want to interrupt you because I think an example of that, I was at a meeting of a woman, probably, she was in her late 70s. And she said, as a result, just what you're talking about, as a result of, of COVID, she has kids all over the country. She spends her whole day actually on Zoom visiting with all of her right. kids. And right. so because somebody said to her, oh, they live so and far. On a,
1: yeah. And on, a, on an educational level, um, we run um, webinars here on topics of interest to seniors. And we bring on experts, to, you know, whether it's uh, better sleep uh, or uh, uh, cannabis or <laughs> uh, aging in place or you know, different topics. And we, we have no trouble getting 1, a 1,000 uh, people onto a Zoom-powered webinar. So you go online to learn stuff and discover stuff, and the so-called older population, quote-unquote, are quite capable of doing this and are doing it. And uh, so we just want to open up people's eyes to that possibility. But you do need a lot more information, and you do need to keep an eye on a lot more topics.
0: Well, I think the connection between old people and younger people is also critical. I mean, I know I have friends who, quote, have retired, and all they do is hang out with people the same age as they are over 65. I think the people who do better connect with people in their 30s, 40s, I, I you know, people who can maybe help them, mentor them, even in terms of technology, where you can go to for information, you know, besides you. You're, quite,
1: you're completely right.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's
1: completely correct. But also there are some very interesting innovations to, to foster that. For example, in the book we write about a, a retirement community, that award-winning retirement community that physically located itself on the campus of Arizona State University by design. And so you get the admixture of older people or retirees with younger people meeting in the coffee shop of the university. The older folks can plug into and audit classes, maybe for a degree or not for a degree, but mix and mingle with the younger kids, and then they get the perspectives and the point of view of the older kids, a very dynamic, creative community. And other people are looking at that model um, so there are some innovative things going on to actualize what you just said.
0: Do you think that we need to get word, get rid of the word "retiree"? I mean, retiree. It's maybe get that out of the vocabulary because that means a lot of things. Retire. You can retire and die, or just retire and sit in your living room. It has a the connotations for retire. I don't think are particularly good for what well, what you and I are talking about. there, there should be other words
1: well we first of all the, the dig, you're quite completely correct the, <laughs> the dictionary definition is to withdraw yeah retirement means i withdraw now factually i do withdraw if i was working at the abc corporation and i'm now not working there anymore but the, what's happening is that the superagers um are have already made the word obsolete because it, what happens is that we had in the default age, we had one model only, you retired at 65. So the model was you went to school to your young 20s, mid-20s, then you worked for 40 years, you accumulated enough money to last you for 10 more years, 12 more years, you retired at 65, you were dead by 80 or late 70s. That was the model, and retirement was locked in. Now, retirement could mean, uh, I call it the all of the above model. Some people are retiring exactly the way they used to. The word means exactly what it used to mean right on the stroke of midnight, you know, in the 65, I'm out of here. Other people are retiring and then being called back in or coming back in. Other people are working past the age of 65. Other people are retiring from job A but starting a whole new career. So it's all of the above. So I think what we're, what's happening is that the word is becoming obsolete in the behavior of uh, people. And uh, you're quite right. We, we have to retire the word retirement because it just doesn't apply anymore as a one-size-fits-all you know, model of behavior.
0: Will you respond to 60 is the new 30? Because I don't think 60 is the new 30. 60 is the new 60, maybe, or as we've been talking about, 65 is the new 65. But if you keep saying, not you, but uh, many uh, writers and people, you know, talk about 60 is the new 30. I mean, it's definitely not.
1: (laughs) Well, the problem with it is that you're taking uh, any phrase, blank is the new blank, Um, you're taking uh, a mathematical meaning, which may be true, uh, and applying it to a broader meaning, which is not true. So, for example, if I was to say that a 30-year-old in in 1960, a 30-year-old had a 65-year-old, 68-year-old lifespan, so at the age of 30, they had 38 years to go, now, at the age of 60, they might have the same 38 years to go, 30 years to go. So in that narrow mathematical sense, the remaining lifespan of a 60-year-old may be what it used to be for a 30-year-old, 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. But you're quite right. The behavior, the attitudes, the knowledge, the life experiences, and the attitude toward the future, uh 60 is not the new 30, it's... uh I don't know what it is. I think the, the real victory for all this will be that 60 is the new 60. This is how 60 year olds behave today and they didn't, the 60 year old of today is not the 60 year old of 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And then that just becomes the new model. Right now we're surprised by it because it's novel, it's new, it's different. But eventually that will become the norm. You'll reach the age of 65 and you'll be in your fourth or fifth career and no one will bat an eye. That's just the way it is when you live that long. And Let's that, talk about we, when you live that long, That's what David. we're working our way to now. Sorry, that's what we're yeah. working our way to
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. But what about stigmatize, stigmatizing? I think it really, uh, that's an issue. That's an issue for anyone, maybe even over over 60, over 55, uh, uh, stigmatizing people who are older. I know I've been called, uh, and my listeners know this. I mean, I have a boyfriend of 35 years we've been together, but, um and decided not to get married. He's my partner. And we will go out and we can go out to, you know, we I, you divide your time between Toronto and the United States. I divide my time between Albany, New York and New York City. We go, say we're going out to eat sure. in the city and people will c- refer to me as the little lady now if they're calling me the little lady that means I'm an old lady because a little lady right. they're not right. gonna say that that we know that right, right. they're gonna be uh, right. so please do not call me a, the little lady I hear that a lot so tell me how do you deal with I've actually confronted waiters and uh, made d's uh, about that and uh, actually given them some good information do not call older women over 60 little ladies how's a little lady doing and it's like, are you talking to me, anyway? That's right. Yeah.
1: Well, I think you're 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 right. And in fact, the final A of our seven A's of super aging, the only one that's in in a negative sense, is the word avoidance, and avoidance of certain negatives. And the primary one is ageism. We talk about ageism a lot in the book, and it has some very severe problems aside from just the. Um, uh, social or cultural or even emotional damage of being called, you know, being looked at in an ageist lens or being even being called little lady. Uh, at a substantive level, it's costing the United States healthcare system over $30 billion a year in ageism on the part of doctors that they won't treat certain, well, you know, you're too old, what am I going to give you a new hip for right now? Uh, or they're condescending or they're patronizing toward older patients and they approach it with a defeatist kind of, you know, you're going to be gone soon anyway. This has been documented, and and there's numbers to support that this is a serious problem. The culture is infused with the old model of default aging, which is what leads to such things as you've experienced. To, To Take this little thought test, for example, invite your listeners to. How many car commercials, think about all the commercials you see for cars and trucks, how many, in how many commercials do you see somebody over the age of 50 driving the car? Hint, zero. And yet they buy, that age group buys far more vehicles than all the other age groups combined. So the entire automotive industry is portraying in its commercials people who are not their customers, they're not their primary customers, and they're ignoring the people that are their customers as an entire generation. And it's, that's the kind of thing we have to fight against. And I think that the way to fight against it is by exercising the um, economic clout that we have because the, this age group accounts for more than half of all consumer spending. And they're not adequately reflected and they're not certainly not chased after by the uh, marketing community, which is leaving billions of dollars on the table by ignoring them. So you are completely correct. It's a major problem. It's not. It doesn't admit of an easy solution. But I think gradually over time, as people realize that uh, people at the age of 65 are not, you know, don't have one foot in the grave necessarily, and are dynamic and vigorous and still contributing, maybe that stereotype will uh, will gradually fade.
0: Yeah, I think we get back to the first uh, one of the key components, attitude, changing attitudes. That takes a while. I mean, your book will hopefully and I will say it will help us to change our attitudes. You have to change your attitude first and, and then you can change the behavior. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the issue that we're talking about. I actually did buy that's a car right. beca- because, because there was right. a fi- Matthew McConaughey, I think he's 50, isn't he? He was selling, uh, Lincoln Nautiluses and I love him. So I saw him advertising the car and that's the car I got. <laughs> There's a good example. So there you it's go. It's starting
1: to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: starting to happen.
1: That's the, I should have mentioned that. That is an exception. I'm not, yeah. I didn't mean maybe literally every single solitary car, but, um, um, and there are industries, to be fair, to be fair, there are industries that absolutely do get this. And one of the ones that may be surprising and counterintuitive is uh, women's, you know, cosmetics and beauty products um, who know very well what's happening. And you had a long time ago, this isn't recent, you had people like L'Oreal using, you know, Diane Keaton uh, as a spokesperson more than 10 years ago, Um and Susan Sarandon and, and uh, uh, I think 10 years ago, the president, the then president of Revlon said that the 70 plus market was going to be their biggest market going forward. So they recognize that financial services industries do a pretty good job, but we still have examples of ageism in, in, in marketing. And of course we have the whole um, intergenerational clash between, uh, you know, uh, should we retire our politicians that are, a minimum age, maximum age, and then they got to retire. And there's that whole debate going on and the whole OK Boomer debate going on. So there's a ways to go yet.
0: So what do you think, because you're approaching that age, 78, you said you were 78, about uh, presidents uh, being 80 or 82 or 84 years old? Um, I won't mention any names. You can just give... (laughs) Uh, well
1: i think that if I think that if super aging is going the which is inevitable to me it's the process that can't be stopped what we're going to move to is we're going to be judging um the competence and the performance of people uh rather than uh, their age. we're not going to be naive about the fact that at a certain age you slow down, but I think that the automatic nature of it is what i uh, you know, ob- uh, object to. Um, Prince Philip, the late Prince Philip, stopped all his public duties at 89 because he had, I think it was hip surgery or something at the time, and he resumed at 90, and he was still going strong at 95. Queen Elizabeth was going strong at 96. Henry Kissinger turns 100 this month, and he's still writing articles and giving... Speeches about foreign policy, so I think it varies by the individual. And the trick will be to say, I like President X, or I don't like President X, or he's competent or he's not. Uh, And his age, you're certainly going to be aware of it, but it may not be the driving force. It may not be the automatic driving force, is what I'm saying. I'm not in favor of a, a compulsory retirement. Um, you know, we open our book just if I can, if I may, with an yeah. anecdote about um, uh, Hurricane Hawkins, Julia Hurricane Hawkins, who um, set a world record um, in November of uh, 2021 for the 100 meter dash of a minute and three seconds. And he said, "Well, how can that be a world record? 100 meters, a minute and three seconds?" Well, she's 105 years old. Now, two interesting things about her. Number one, um, she th- that there is an actual category of world records, the 100-meter dash, for runners of 104-plus. So you mean she's not the only one? There's actually competitions? Yes. There's a category? Yes. And the second interesting thing is she did not take up competitive uh, track and field racing until she was 80. So, <laughs> you know, what do you mean? That sets the whole model on its... Head, I
0: think, right? Yeah, that sets the model on its head. But then sometimes I know I look at it and I say, okay, if we look at the bell-shaped curve, I'm just giving you the other side. I get it. She's 105, but most people, or most, don't, you know, can't achieve that. So where do the most people stand? Is she our role model? Or do we look towards that, or because that's probably something we can't achieve? Uh, we need to. Well, that's
1: true. Yeah. That's that's true, and that goes right back to attitude. And and the other thing that's just important before I go go into that is that, um, we're five years away. I think in the U.S. about five years away from having more sixty year olds than uh, people under the age of fourteen. It never happened before in history. So because the cohort is so vast, because there are so many people living longer, it's not surprising that there are big, huge chunks aging differently. So the number of people that are saying, you could come to me and say, hey, David, wait, I know millions of people who are still who are frail at age 65. They've given up. They don't think they got much time left. They've retired. And they are indeed not going to be uh, alive to see their 80th birthday. They're aging exactly the way people did in 1950. What are you talking about? There's millions of them. And I say, yes, there are. But the total cohort is so big that these other models are emerging and are big in their own right. So I go back to attitude. I think that the attitude we're trying to promote is that by the time you hit your 60s, you should perceive, most people or many people can perceive, that they have a lot of time left. Uh, Maybe they can't do it on uh, track and field. We have an example, again, in the same paragraph as uh, Hurricane Hawkins of a guy that got a Ph.D. in physics at the age of 89, then he started that journey at the age of 70. So there's an intellectual thing not out on the track. So I think what we're saying is be inspired by the fact that you've got time left. Make plans to use those years productively so it's not a wind-down phase, it's a growth phase. And be aware that you need to know a lot more. Than you, you need to keep track of more than than you used to. And hopefully, our book provides a, a, a blueprint for how to do that because it's it's basically a guide to what works and what doesn't work. We we consulted with a lot of different experts. It's good. We we see ourselves as kind of. Well-informed layman, and giving you kind of what worked for us, and a kind of a, a model that you can follow to build that kind of program for yourself, whether it's out on the running track or in the research lab, or in the library, or volunteering, or uh, learning a new language.
0: Yeah, just make sure you're just looking at it, looking through a different lens, as we talked about, not a the wider default. lens with A more wider lens, yes, not the old default lens. We have to say goodbye, right. Super Aging, Getting Older Without Getting Old. And we've been talking to the author, David Kravitz. David, tell us where we can go for more information about the book, about you, yeah. about your work. Yeah.
1: Yes, we, uh, the book's available at all online um, uh, retailers and bookstores. But what I would direct the listener to is superaging.info superaging.info where you can read more about the book you can see a video you can uh, pick up some of our uh, you know interviews and stuff and, and also direct links to all the places you can buy it from so superaging.info that'll do the trick
0: great thanks so much for being on the show today lots of really great thank information you. thank you we so appreciate much for it. having me I really enjoyed it Yeah, I'm Catherine Zox your social worker with a microphone and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show